Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Well, hi there. Now, this episode is created in response to a lot of messages that I've had recently with uh, many of you saying, Emma, it's been a while since we've done a deep dive into skincare. When are you going to be be doing another episode when we talk about skincare ingredients, what works and what doesn't, etc, etc. And that is why I have asked Dr. Sam Bunting to come on the show. And in this episode, she gives me her breakdown of the gold standard skincare ingredients we should all be using the skincare myths that are making it harder for people to make good choices in their skincare, why skincare isn't entertainment, I particularly love that particular bit, why two years talking on Zoom has made us hypercritical of our faces, and honestly, so much more. This is, when I was going back through, I was like, tick, 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 we have covered a lot of ground in this episode. Sam is a cosmetic dermatologist with a passion for simplifying skincare and giving people routines that will help them achieve their best skin and for formulating products and communicating products in a way that's no nonsense, efficient and effective. During our conversation, we go on a whistle-stop tour, including why retinoids are a gold standard and what they can do for you, why she's a big fan of azelaic acid and has been talking about it for many, many years, why an holistic approach is always the best approach when it comes to the inflammatory skin conditions that you may have to contend with, her ingredient hierarchy, and spoiler alert, retinols at the top, but what's underneath may surprise you. Why skincare is functional and not entertainment. Again, you can tell how much I love that section. Why SPF doesn't just protect your skin, but also has an interesting function that can support your skin in other ways. This was new to me. I mean, it makes sense, but I hadn't ever had it spelled out for me in the way that Sam describes. She also talks about how to treat skin that's aging, but also experiencing adult acne. How do you treat the two at the same time? why she created a direct-to-consumer brand, her 13-dot application technique for perfect skincare application every every time, and much, much more. And this was such a good opportunity to geek out, as I love to do, about skincare and learn from someone who really knows their stuff. Now, the links to everything Sam and I discussed will be in the show notes, but you you may be able to tell that we had a couple of technical issues during this call where uh, I've tried to splice together the interruptions 
as uh, neatly as possible. But if you think, oh, that sounds like a weird jump, don't worry. It's just where something went off or said something it wasn't supposed to. And so I tried to sniff it out. If you want to get in touch with me about this episode, then email me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com and put Dr. Sam Bunting in the subject line. Um, if you do that, that makes it much easier to find. And uh, I will get back to you. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter, or you can email me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com, or you can join the Facebook group. Again, all of those links will be in the show notes, as will the link to sign up to the podcast newsletter. So here she is, can you believe it, making her debut on The Emma Gunn Show. It's Dr. Sam Bunting. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sam Bunting. How are you? I'm thrilled to be here finally. So good to hang out. I'm thrilled you're here as well because we've been talking about this for a while but we've actually had a couple of instances of like meet of like seeing each other in real life yes. and thinking this would be fun on tape although illegal yeah <laughs> borderline yeah yeah um green room at Caroline Hiron's pop-up was made all the more entertaining for having you in it I have to say but you are, well, tell me in full your title, because I get so caught in the weeds with all the titles for skincare experts. So you are a... Cosmetic dermatologist mm-hmm. with a passion for simplifying skincare. You know, I've had my practice on Harley Street for, what, over 10 years now. And I guess really created a niche where you could come to the clinic and it wasn't just about solving a medical problem. It was about doing that, but also taking your skin further to enhance it, to make it beautiful, to make it the best it could be. And really to focus on skincare rather than procedures. So to give the power back to my patients. And I guess now with the brand to my customers and followers Mm -hmm. on social to ensure that they really understand what steps in their routine move the needle and, you know, how to spend efficiently and effectively, but still enjoy the feel good factor that comes from doing a skincare routine. So I guess that's why I took to social, started my YouTube channel, I guess, sort of six or seven years ago now. Um, so I love, I love that. I love reaching people that otherwise I wouldn't through the clinic. Um, yeah. To me, that's the joy of social media. And actually, you said something there, you're a cosmetic dermatologist, and it was only always at a dinner about three months ago when someone said, um, it's a stu- we study the disease of the skin. We don't study beautiful skin. We, just, we no. study all of the things that are wrong with it and how to fix it. Which... Well, I think that's why I've taken the path that I have. I mean, I, I, I was a dermatology trainee for seven years. Then I was a locum consultant dermatologist for two years. And after that, I realized that if I wanted to talk to the beauty press and to have that free two-way conversation, I really need to be able to speak, you know, for myself. And that's why I moved into private practice and set up really my own platforms so I could have that conversation, which at that time, 10 years ago, wasn't really Mm. the way medicine worked, Um, but it was what was happening in the US. And I just wanted to have that completeness, sort of, you know, beautification, not just kind of disease correction. And I think that's what patients want. And thank goodness I can see more and more now that's what's happening. Mm. Hence there are so many of us now on social media, which is fantastic. But, you know, it took a while, I think, for that to reach the mainstream to kind of be okay as a way of, you know, channeling medical dermatology, but into a more cosmetic way of thinking. And actually you make a good point there about wanting to speak to press because it is quite hard to access that bubble of the beauty world and yet a couple of weeks ago one of the last times I saw you and, we're all and, dressed um, up 
we were all dressed up <laughs> and uh it was just a, I'm laughing because I said something really inappropriate without intending to to uh, Sam but anyway we'll talk about that later um <laughs> you actually came on stage to introduce uh, Sarah Dossel who's the beauty director of the Sunday Times Style magazine for her um Achiever Award so I mean it's not just that you're talking to press they um really rely on you for quotes that you are seen as a really top tier expert in terms of if they're writing an article about skin and skincare and skin issues you're you are top of the list for people to go to oh that's so nice to hear I mean I've had a a long-standing relationship with Sarah I think you know I helped her with her skin like you know some years ago now and you know, I think that's it. Just I, at the time I was setting up my practice, I really welcomed those kind of relationships. I was working with quite a lot of other brands at the time and I did some TV for a while. And that just created a kind of feeling about the practice that maybe we're a little bit different in the way we approach things. Um, so I like to think that a lot of journalists are now friends and they know that I'll give them the kind of co- copy that just translates easy it's understandable but kind of I guess you know doesn't use too much jargon um, and makes everything you know quite clear um, but yeah I love I love working with the beauty press I mean there's so many ways that my job has kind of gone that I I'm I just feel so fortunate that I get to do all the things that I wanted to and my my job is just so varied now you know influencer social media making products and the clinic um, and it all kind of feeds together nicely to create this kind of I don't know or relatability I suppose and you have a very good looking brand it has to be said like it's a very nice looking <laughs> but like but you have very good taste you do have very good style I think <laughs> back at you I mean aesthetics are really important to me um you know my first word was literally shoe and I've been fashion obsessed and I think you know Skin was as beauty as I could make medicine, um, you know, and, and, you know, there were some hard years, you know, at the beginning, getting my medical physician's training certificate and all the rest of it. But, you know, it's quite funny how the path it mm. took a long time, but it finally ended up exactly, I think, where I was supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, things looking sleek, minimal, elegant, and also the fact that the brand is, 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 is quite unisex as well. It's not pink and gold. Um, I just think, you know, that in the end of the day, we have quite a lot of customers who are guys as well. So, you know, it's nice that we've done nice packaging, but it hasn't boxed us in. Yes. Okay. So I know that one of the things that you get asked about a lot, and I know that it's something that I think a lot of listeners deal with, is the fact that they are beginning to tackle the signs of aging or they are noticing signs of aging on their skin and they want to be using skincare that will minimize those uh, telltale signs. Uh, We are, (laughs) oh, I've lost you, but I'm going to carry on. You're there. Um, But also they may be experiencing this other thing at the same time, which is adult acne. And I guess the, uh, one would think that the treatment for one might not work for the other, Oh, that the, the two in unison just are not great bedfellows, but you actually have this uh, approach for dealing with both at the same time, don't you? So I think what's interesting is that when you look at the ingredients that actually have a, a proper evidence base behind them, there's only a handful really that, that make a big difference in skin. And I guess my toolkit for you know, solving both the kind of premature aging scenario in context of being acne prone has been honed over, you know, 10 years plus in private practice. 
So when I created the range, essentially what I was doing was producing a, a more accessible, lower potency version of what I do in the clinic every single day and structuring it in the same way. So every patient that comes to see me gets a little plan where they literally have it all spelt out. So there's no guesswork. So the cleanser, the moisturizer, how much do you use? When do you use it? Don't do that. Definitely don't do that. So there's a lot of red pen involved with, I guess, my approach. But it really is the way to capture behavior and get people to be consistent and diligent and bearing in mind that when you're solving problems like breakouts, there is at least a six week lag before things really start to work. So you really have to build that trust and belief, which is very easy, of course, when I've got a patient sitting in front of me by giving them, you know, a really kind of structured plan, a bit like, you know, a really good physio, uh, physio or a personal trainer will do for you. So it's like, how can I build that belief system into an over the counter offering? Um, you know, when I haven't got somebody sitting in front of me and they mm -hmm. might be attracted to something sparkly and new that they see on Instagram. So, you know, that's the real reason why I kept the brand direct to consumer, because that way they have to go to the website to buy it. And then they kind of can't avoid the video content around each of the products. So they kind of get that that feeling that I'm kind of walking them through it. Um, and if you complete our routine finder tool, you actually get a little routine again it tells you exactly what to use and how much and how often in a way that becomes really easy to follow and I think that's what makes the difference the right ingredients and the right products but used the right way mm -hmm. um, and lots of education around what your true milestones should be like anything that promises to solve breakouts in hours or days or even weeks is probably not telling you the truth given that I see clinic patients and I'm using prescription grade stuff and it takes three to six months so it's all about managing those expectations then people don't rush in and overdo things and get irritated at the beginning they know it's about kind of slow and steady and consistency which is a word that comes up all the time so I think that's what really makes the difference um, and then in terms of the kind of tackling both problems you know when it comes down to it retinoids um, azelaic acids which are kind of my two favorite ingredients both work brilliantly whether you're breakout prone or whether you've got some pigmentation and fine lines you know from enjoying the outdoors a bit too much so mm -hmm. chuck a bit of niacinamide in there simple non-clogging skincare that feels nice daily sunscreen habit that won't block your pores you know that really is the recipe is very simple, really, when it comes down to it. Um, but it's about not doing any harm with anything that's too trend-driven. You know, balms and oils, for example, mm. which people quite like because they're an enjoyable experience, but are often not the best way to go about cleansing um, breakout-prone skin. So, yeah, it's very, you know, it's quite, mm. quite strongly worded. It's kind of this is the way to do things, but I think people quite like that, you know. Yeah, but I know, I know what you mean about it's really simple. These are the ingredients that work. Yet it is really complicated because not all <laughs> products are created. Sorry, I really wish I could say, yep, you're absolutely right. And then send listeners off on their way and they know exactly what to do. But I, I even I, like if I sit down, like even when I lined up all of your products in the office, I'm thinking, well, I know what I'm doing now. Do I have to ditch everything I'm doing and wait for, for that to finish? Do I start yours? So I do think it can be complicated. So hopefully what we'll do in this conversation is we'll simplify it a little bit. But can we talk about what's actually happening in the skin when you get adult acne? Because I think a lot of people listening might have experienced acne or spots or breakouts in their teens when they're going through puberty. And we know that hormones can impact the skin and can cause those breakouts. So it doesn't really necessarily make sense when you're in your 40s or 35 plus and you're getting the same kind of skin issues that you had when you were in your teens. What's really at play? 
So the process deep down in the pore, no matter what kind of spot you've got is the same. So whether you've got like just like a little skin colored bump or what we call a comedone or whether you've got like a raging cyst, it all starts out with a blockage in the hair follicle, which is a little tube that connects the gland deep in the skin to the surface. The skin cells just kind of clump up um, and then oil builds up behind that blockage. Now, all of us have a bacteria on the skin called C. acnes, which when it gets kind of caught up in that congested oily environment, has a little party, creates inflammation, et voila, you have a blemish. So whether you get like a tiny red bump or a big red spot is really down to your immune system's interaction with that set of things happening. Um, so yeah, some people will get terrible acne in that context and other people will get barely anything. So that part is, is kind of down to you and your, you know, the way you've, you, you know, you're made really, as I say, often people who've got bad acne will have close first degree relatives who've also got bad acne. So there's definitely genetics at play in those instances. But whenever we understand that, we recognize that that's why retinoids are so important in the treatment of anything breakouty, because that's the single most um, easy way to unclog your pores is by regular retinoid use. Um, so that's why I, you know, I go on about them ad nauseum because it's, there's so much negative press around um, retinoids. I'm just really keen to make people realize that they are fundamental to sorting out your skin if you're breakout prone and they happen to be the best anti-agers around as well. So, you know, if you do one thing, if you kind of suffer from both those issues, it, it's to try to find a way to make a retinoid work in your life. You mentioned there about the immune system. So can taking vitamin D or any of those things that we've been hearing about recently that help boost the immune system, those oral supplements, can they help with um, managing like from the inside out approach? Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a, a an immune deficiency. It's it's really just how you're made and how your body reacts to seeing that kind of the the, the consequences of the bacteria kind of overgrowing in the pores. So, alas, we don't yet have the sophistication to be able to modulate that. I mean, things like zinc supplements have some role potentially, but so yeah. So I, I don't think acne is solved by taking supplements. I think. In terms of um, dietary advice, I recommend a few things. Um, firstly, avoid too much skimmed milk. There are some clinical studies that show that particular form of dairy, um, especially in young males, tends to be associated with um, a greater severity of acne. So it's not that anyone should cut dairy out of their life, but just be, be careful and moderate. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can, stay away from skimmed milk. There's something about the processing of the milk to become skimmed that seems to be influencing um, uh, the tendency for acne in, in susceptible individuals. Um, the second thing is to think about low GI carbohydrates. High GI carbohydrates tend to make our insulin levels bop up and down, and that that in itself um, can impact on sebaceous gland function and make us more prone to clogging up and more oily. Um, and then zinc, potentially. So I, I tend to sort of recommend a handful of nuts um, as a great source of, of zinc. So rather that than getting it from a, a, a sort of pill. Right. Um, yeah, so those three things can help, but I've never seen anyone solve their acne with dietary manipulation alone. It's part of a, a sort of multifaceted approach that includes skincare, cosmetics, and, and potentially medication. But it is that thing, isn't it? It's like there's no there's no point investing in great skincare if you're then going to be eating foods that might not be helping the situation. So it's just good to know what they are so that you're not 
wasting your money in that area because you're not aware of what you need to be doing in this area. 100%. I mean, a holistic approach always works best with, with inflammatory skin problems, whether it's acne, rosacea, eczema, and so on. So what is the thing that people come to you most about? What are you seeing the most at the moment? And has that changed over the last couple of years? And the reason I'm asking is because if we're talking about inflammatory situations and potentially stress, we know that the last two years have been incredibly stressful for everybody. Have skin issues and concerns changed much? I mean, I think our practice has attracted a reputation for, for people who've been struggling with acne and breakouts, but also other inflammatory skin issues like rosacea. Um, I think we deal with it sympathetically. We have a long appointment structure, which really allows us to get into people's habits in a much more thorough way than the kind of more traditional, okay, you've got acne here as a prescription type approach. Um, but I think, I think the combination of anxiety and then the whole Zoom mask thing has made people far more um, self-conscious. So I think we're probably not seeing much more disease outside of the kind of mask, maskne type flare-ups, which we definitely are seeing some to some extent, but not as much as we were, say, 12 months ago. But I think it's the it's the interpretation because we're all seeing it ourselves on screen far more than I think anybody should, frankly. I've just turned off my self-view. I was wondering why I was like, you know what, I'm getting too much feedback here. And oh, yes, it's me. I don't need to see that. Um, but yeah, so I think I think that's it. We're, we're doing a lot of reassuring that things aren't as bad as people think they are. Um, and, you know, that whole thing of scrolling and, you know, literally doing a comparative judgment every single sort of thing you scroll through on social media has definitely fed into people's tendency to pick themselves apart and uh, focus on on negatives um but yeah breakouts under the mask as I say I think that's just going to be an ongoing thing but people are getting better at managing it certainly um our toolkit has changed a little bit I think in context of a mask and having inflammatory skin issues the importance of barrier support has really kind of come out for me in the last 12 months um you really do have to make sure the skin isn't getting dry and um, flaky underneath the mask. I think that single thing, um, which is a bit counterintuitive when you're breakout prone, people are often a bit moisturizer phobic. You know, they've had experiences in the past of using heavier creams and breaking out as a consequence. So really doing that piece around re-education actually barrier support is your friend, isn't going to make matters worse. Um, and something like niacinamide is a really fantastic ingredient because it's anti-inflammatory, but it also boosts barrier function. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm quite passionate about that as an ingredient, hence it's in a lot of our products. But yeah, it really does help calm things down and give people that sense of control because there's nothing worse than peeling your mask off at the end of the day, particularly if you're somebody who's working in the front line in the hospitals and just feeling, you know, really crap mm. about your skin. No. What is going on when you get mask made? Because I mean, I guess if you're just thinking about it without being a cosmetic dermatologist, you might think, oh, it's just the greenhouse effect. It's just getting very warm and there's no air to it. So yep. it's, everything's getting congested. Is that the deal? Yeah. I mean, it's a combination of humidity. So it's like tropical acne um, and there's a friction element as well. So there is a degree of chafing. And I mean, we see that a lot. We see, you know, kind of people who do cycling for a living, they get acne under the, the strap of their helmet so if you irritate the skin enough eventually that promotes clogging of the pores and then the whole acne process ensues so it's humidity plus friction under the mask those are the two kind of main sort of differences um and if you're already acne prone that can just you know it's a bit like 
going on holidays, um, you know, to a tropical environment, anybody who's acne prone knows that can just be such a, a red flag for your skin. So as I say, so it's about getting the right material in the mask, like, you know, sort of softer silks are definitely kinder than cottons. Um, having breaks where you can, and, and as I say, generously supporting the barrier so that you can then use active products alongside that to actually manage the problem. So, you know, retinoids and anti-inflammatory ingredients like salicylic acid are still super important, azelaic acid, these kind of things, but you need to support the barrier so you can actually use them and, and not get mm. irritated by them. What about, I mean, and this is just a very personal question, but say you love wearing a beanie and yet when you take it on... <laughs> <laughs> on your winter walks on the weekend you like wearing a beanie but around your hairline you're getting yeah. these little bubbles of what feel like little spots can you do anything about those yeah. can you put BHA on afterwards or yeah absolutely I mean so that's the same thing a little bit of occlusion is just triggering clog pores and um and, and mild breakouts and if you're doing it persistently you can see how that builds up over time so yeah I think preemptive action um, something like neutralizing gel is really great because it's quite kind. The base is consciously moisturizing. We use 5% squalene in there. Um, so I think it's it can be soothing at the same time as being anti-inflammatory and calming down the bumps. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's go through your favorite ingredients and what it is exactly about them that works and why you use them time and time again. So I guess let's start with azelaic acid. Let's yes. Start with the A's. <laughs> Um, so I, I mean, I think I was one of the first people to start talking about azelaic acid like eight, nine years ago. I always knew that when I finally did my range, I wanted it to be a really central ingredient. Um, I think even as a, a sort of a doctor in the hospital scenario, I don't think we really learned how effective it could be. Um, so it's, it's, it's just such a versatile ingredient. It's, you know, we use it in melasma for hyperpigmentation. We use it in acne, both in terms of like treatment and prevention because it's anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, and it helps keep pores on clogs. So it's my go-to if you're pregnant with acne. Um, it's really safe, um, safe for use in both pregnant, pregnancy and if you're nursing. Um, and it tackles most of those kind of key points in the acne pathway. Um, and it's great for redness too. So it, it literally does just about everything. So we use it um, on prescription for rosacea sufferers. But even if you're just somebody with a tendency to redness in the skin, and maybe you're fair, and maybe you have some little patches of pigmentation, and maybe you've got a few pimples in your chin, that's kind of like the perfect person because it's going to tackle pretty much all those kind of problems um, in one easy step. It's a challenge to formulate though, I'm not going to lie. Like it's literally led to more than 30 iterations of at least two of my products. Um, yeah, it's a good thing my manufacturers are very patient. I think many would not be so patient. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't want to stay, um, you know, in an emulsion. So that's that's a tricky one. But but when you get it to work, it just, you know, people become quite evangelical about it. It just transforms skin. And it's, it's transformed my skin. I'm a tendency to redness and I'm very breakout prone. Um, and I wouldn't be without it in my morning routine. So, yeah, that's another good thing, I guess, to say is um, when can you use it morning and evening? I, I have it in a formula that I use in the evening with Tret and um, niacinamide. 
Yes. So you can use azelaic acid twice a day quite comfortably. And as I say, that's how the range is built. So that it's in both my morning products and my evening products. So there's no photosensitivity with it. Um, it's, it tends to play quite well with other ingredients as well. So um, yeah, you can happily use it twice a day or, you know, or once a day, whatever suits. Now I was going to ask you about vitamin C, but let's do antioxidants yeah. as a general rule. Like, do you have any favorites? Um, I, I use vitamin C every day. I know that majority of people I know who are in the skincare in the beauty industry use an antioxidant or vitamin c and swear by it as being one of the I mean really the three ingredients that people are evangelical about um I know it has extended a bit more recently but it's retinol vitamin c and hyaluronic acid in terms of things that actually work is are you in line with that thinking I mean if I was to create a hierarchy I would probably put retinoids above vitamin C, especially in context of the breakout prone lady who wants to minimize sun damage. Um, just because retinoids, I mean, they really are the, you know, the gold standard we should compare everything else to because they go inside skin cells and change the way they function. There's really no facet of your skin, I think, that retinoids don't influence. They turn on more than 100 genes. Um, they are super impactful. So they normalize keratinization, which is why they help keep the pores unclogged. And they are literally the, kind of the, the, the first thing you should be putting in place if you have acne, unless you're pregnant. Um, they improve cell turnover, so you get lovely improvement in texture and general luminosity. Um, and they, they, you know, they switch on the, the little powerhouse cells, the fibroblasts in the dermis, and that means they increase output of collagen, elastin, and hyaluronic acid. So all that kind of youthful stuff that sits in the dermis and gives our skin its structure and thickness. So for me, retinoids are, you know, if you don't have a retinoid in your routine, why don't you? Is kind of the way I view it. Um, there is one for everyone, pretty much. Um, so yeah, whatever you think of that and all the properties it has, I mean, azelaic acid comes a close second for me. Vitamin C is a little bit lower down in the list just because, you know, it's helping with assembly of collagen. So that's good for firmness. Um, it's an antioxidant, which means it's great at preventing sun damage of the future. And it's reasonably effective in hyperpigmentation, but it's not got the wow factor. I mean, I can literally tell somebody walking in the door three months after they've been using a retinoid, they look like a different person. It's, it is the word transformative really applies with retinoids. Um, vitamin C is like a nice thing to have. It's a nice thing to have. <laughs> um, so is it, okay, so it's a great antioxidant, but do you have others that yeah. are favorites? Because I mean, I mean, you know what it's like, we get press releases every day for things and there's like, there's some sort of seed that's an antioxidant that people say is more potent than uh, vitamin C or you'll suddenly hear about how a pomegranate has more vitamin C than a, you know, than 50 yeah. oranges. And it gets, that's where I think it gets very, very confusing. Um, yeah. Do you have a preferred antioxidant or is it, or is it vitamin C? So uh, it's important to realize that vitamins A, B, and C all have antioxidant properties, you know, in addition to these other kind of cellular effects. So I definitely think vitamin C, if we're looking purely for an antioxidant um, to add into the mix above and beyond azelaic acid and retinoids, then that would be where I'd go to in somebody who's more focused perhaps on the um, premature aging side of things um, and it's great because practically it's quite gentle it has some anti-inflammatory properties too so you can use it around the eyes and on the neck which are areas that you often want to really focus mm -hmm. in on because they're you know, thinner skin and they're prone to to wrinkling first um, 
And then of course, it's about choosing your formula. So if you're very sensitive, sometimes you'll struggle with the most effective form of vitamin C, which is L-ascorbic mm. acid. So sometimes then you'll have to think about using one of the vitamin C esters. Um, you know, there's a whole price sensitivity thing around vitamin C. Some of them are quite expensive. Um, so it really is about finding, I suppose, the right ingredient with the right functionality for your budget to some extent. Um, but as I say, I think it's less important than than some of the other ingredients, certainly in terms of trying to solve a problem. Mm. Listeners need to know that um, a tabby has just tried, no, not a tabby, a ginger tom has just tried to get into the shot. <laughs> he was wearing his Christmas scarf earlier. Very to show it off? There's no, but what, what's his name? He's jaunty, there's no doubt. Oh, he's ginger. He is literally called ginger. And then we have the posh one is called Hector. He's uh, an Aussie cat. He's much more skittish, much less, uh, you know, flamboyant. He was, but he, yeah, he was in the background earlier doing some sort of preening and I was trying to keep a straight face. Um, so let's talk about um, <laughs> niacinamide because you've talked about that a lot. I have to be honest, I feel like this is a, a sort of late entry into the skincare game. I'm sure it's been around for absolutely years, but I don't feel as though it kind of, hit over the counter products until I say recently, I probably mean about 10 years ago, but it does seem like a relatively speaking, a new kid on the block. Yeah, you know, Olay did like niacinamide, I think one of the, the first mainstream brands to include it in their regenerist range. So it has been around for a long time. Um, I think it's gaining more and more credibility in the in the expert skin space. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's fantastic because it does something unusual in that it boosts barrier function and makes skin hydration um, better. Um, and but it also has this kind of pore clearing, blemish calming, redness soothing effect as well. So it kind of crosses over quite nicely. So you can happily use it around the eyes for brightening, for collagen production, and again to, to boost barrier function. So it's I think of it and retinoids as being this lovely partnership where almost pre-treating with niacinamide can actually improve your your you know outcome when it comes to starting your retinoids i'll often do that for my very sensitive patients um because this builds a slightly more robust barrier before you you know you go in with the potentially slightly irritating retinoid but um yeah i, I mean i love it as an ingredient I've, I've even got it on my sunscreen because it's a really nice way of again potentially reducing um you know free radicals because none of us are totally perfect with sunscreen applications. So I think that's really that sort of belt and braces mm. approach to sun protection, um, which is why niacinamide vitamin C, I think partners so well with your daytime routine and kind of solid sunscreen habit. Um, but yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day though, you know, you can't really get away when it comes to sort of aging prevention from the fact that most people aren't doing the simplest thing really, really well, that, you know, we wouldn't be quite so reliant on all these antioxidants, and the, the newness of them, if we actually adhere to proper sunscreen use every day properly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sound very old fashioned, probably and a bit bleak, but you know, it's true. Most people don't treat around their eyes properly with sunscreen, for example. So it's kind of crazy to chase a fruit extract, which might or might not get into your skin. So whether it's got a higher ORAC score than vitamin C in the test sheet is kind of neither here nor there if it doesn't actually penetrate into your skin to deliver that antioxidant goodness, which a lot of the time is what we're having to extrapolate from brand data. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, if you just use sunscreen properly, like really properly, a bit of retinoid at night, nice moisturizer, you know, you'd be doing an awful lot better than the vast majority of people. Um, well, actually, it's yeah. great bookends, isn't it? Because you talk about um, using sunscreen, but then also it wasn't until, I mean, a certain friend of ours started really talking about cleansing 
that um I mean I've, I guess I'd heard it before but then we we're in the position where we're, we're in the beauty industry but understanding that if you're not cleansing properly everything that follows is kind of pointless it's like I don't know I'm trying to think like icing the cake before you've put the batter in the oven kind of situation um yeah. so cleansing is is vitally important as well isn't it yeah absolutely I mean I think I suppose my philosophy moves more towards wearing less on your skin because ultimately you can if you do the work and clear up breakouts. And I, you know, I'm I'm very conscious that I think historically due to perhaps a lack of information or, you know, struggling with GPs to try to get solutions for skin that a lot of women in the UK just accept breakout prone skin as their lot. There's nothing they can do about it. So they've they've almost developed sort of culturally sort of rely on makeup to hide breakouts. That's what we do. And then, of course, the more you do that, oftentimes, if you're using the wrong kind of makeup for breakout prone skin, you end up in a horrible negative spiral where more makeup begets more makeup because the makeup choices are making the problem worse, you know, particularly with the advent of long wear foundation, which sounds like a great idea if you've got spots, but oftentimes is so blooming hard to get off. And oftentimes the formulas are so clogging that you just end up in this, you know, sea of comedone hell, which I see in clinic quite a lot. But if you do the intervention, do the work to get the breakouts under control. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Get the pores on clogged, switch to products that don't block you up. All of a sudden, you have skin that you can get away with just using a tinted sunscreen on, maybe a bit of concealer. It was a very different situation, and then requires much, much less aggressive cleansing to get the stuff off than what you previously Mm. did so I think it's about a shift in behavior which is not you know it's not just about any one product it's about demanding more of your skin because it makes life better and gives you freedom and confidence and you know not worrying about what's on your face the next morning after you just met somebody and you spent the night you know all these little scenarios that any woman will recognize as being like (gasps) you know can be feel quite horrific when you're when you feel vulnerable about your skin I've been there um so it's it's about shifting away from that cleansing is of course important but it becomes less important if you don't have to rely on layering so much product onto your skin in the first place Mm, and so sunscreen let's please talk about sunscreen because I think I would always like to say I've been quite good but I know that I really haven't and it's I I will be (laughs) totally 100 I've used it I've thought I've been using it but I also am of that age where when the first um, facial SPFs came out for every day and they weren't I mean I still remember when SPF was just for holidays so when those first facial SPFs came out and they were being sold by brands as part of your the sort of link between your skincare and your makeup, they were horrible. They did not sit very well. They did not play well with makeup. And so it was easier not to use it. And so you just think, well, I've got SPF 15 in my moisturizer and I've probably got an SPF 20 in my foundation. I'm sure that's fine. <laughs> Whereas now, and I have to be honest, it, I, every morning when I go to my go to put my makeup on, the first thing I do is put my SPF on. And it is after 
uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow thing and sort of realizing, seeing her saying, oh, I just use it as a touch of highlighter and seeing how ridiculous that seemed to me. I thought, but I can't talk because I've missed it on <laughs> on so many days. So it is, it is vitally important, isn't it? It just makes sense. If, you know, 80% of why we age at least is preventable because of the simple act of wearing sunscreen. It's not about the SPF UVB part of the story. It's about the UVA protection, which is around, you know, UVAs are around all year round. They come through glass. They're, you know, you're exposed to them when you're driving. It's that, this insidious creep of UVA that is knackering your collagen in your dermis and getting rid of the elastin, which is the single most important protein because it's what gives your skin its snap. So it's a bit like letting your, your elastin go is like letting a lycra dress get overstretched. You know, it's never quite the same again. <laughs> so you really want to hang on to that and you need to do that. That's behavior you need to start in your 20s. Um, you know, I can see it when I see young patients who've hit the sunbeds too hard. Um, sorry, too hard at all. Mm. But you know what I mean? If they've really done it, you know, the eye area and the way the skin moves, you can just tell the snap isn't the same. It's that that you're trying to preserve. Um, it's obviously not about tanning or not tanning, you know, when you're in the depths of winter. But um, I think you're right. It's just getting that habit where it's an automatic thing. You don't question it. You don't see, you know, look outside and decide whether or not it's it's grey and cloudy and you don't need to. It's just you do mm. it. Um, behavior serves you so well if you start early it really does so habits actually this is a really good point the the habits that you're talking about it's really about what you do every day in addition to the products that you choose to use that are the, are the big thing there's no point and we've all done it who who goes to the dentist has their hygiene appointment and then their brushes their teeth for about seven minutes that night and then goes back to what they were doing the next day. It really is about incorporating habits. And it isn't difficult to, to factor these in. And I guess you, you've got thousands of patients who you can say, even with the strongest resistance, they all end up finding a way. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, if they get results, that, of course, becomes the self-fulfilling um, you know, driver that keeps them going you know, where, where others might have fallen away. And I think, you know, to get people to do that with over-the-counter products is harder. But I, again, it's why I work so hard on our serum formulas. You can see a difference quite quickly. It really does make people go, okay, hang on. Maybe this is a different experience. Maybe I can adhere to this. And then I think there's just a relaxation. Once you've found habits that serve you, I mean, you can stop looking, right? It's a bit like boyfriends. <laughs> you found the one you don't have to worry about it you don't have to choose anymore I mean I, I don't know about you but I'm exhausted with having to make choices I and mean, I'm trying to renovate a flat at the moment and the choice factor is killing me I just want one of each presented to me that's lovely I'm like yes great I'll take that all of those you know so yeah um decision fatigue I think that's if we can get a system that works for us just stay with it you know and actually that's a really good point about decision fatigue because you can get into a really wonderful routine you can develop really good habits and then you see a new product or you see somebody else using a product and you think oh that looks great maybe <laughs> I should try that but it's it's putting in a piece that might not be relevant for your particular skincare puzzle I think that's it I mean I think there's a big problem with people using skincare as entertainment Ooh. it's something cheer you up or you know lift your spirits I mean certainly a mask in the bath you know fine great go for it but as your everyday routine it should be about functionality like what do I need what is essential what's actually solving problems and making the difference 
you know, by all means, do the luxury thing with your makeup, with your hair, whatever. But like skin needs firm science. It doesn't know what day of the week it is. So don't give it treats on the weekend. It doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true though, right? I mean, you know, you know, you're treating your brain when you do that, not your skin. Mm. That's a, sorry. I'm gonna that, that I really, I really, really love that. Your skin doesn't. Your skin doesn't know what day of the week it is. You don't need to treat it on the weekend. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because we kind of have got into this thing. I'm just trying to scrabble through and think about the Sunday facial, the Sunday hair mask. I mean, I use a hair mask for my uh, hair loss on on the weekend, but that's obviously more of a functional thing. But I think it does feel quite appropriate sometimes to get home from work on a Friday pour a glass of red wine put a face mask on and but you're right that's the brain and your mood not your skin that's fine that's totally fine but again don't expect to solve major problems with masks either and we went through a a sort of a phase where masks for this masks for that like I mean trying to solve acne with a mask is just a fool's errand you know you can certainly support barrier function you can calm things down but really hydration is the main thing you should ask of a mask and you know what you what you need to fix your problem solving should be done on a daily basis with leave-on ingredients again i'm not a fan of sort of wipe off type ingredients let's know what we're delivering to the skin what the dose is be sure of the application you know i have this uh somewhat ridiculous sounding thing called the 13 dot technique. I'm not sure if you've come across it, but it's a way to get people to apply products systematically to all the parts of the face. I mean, it's so easy. It sounds like the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven erogenous zone from friends. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure it's that stimulating, Um, but (laughs) explain. it's uh it is you know it's it was based on the fact that I once had a male patient who I was treating for hyperpigmentation who had a, a big reunion to go to and he didn't apply the products methodically which meant that he ended up with a hairline issue where the bit above his hairline wasn't treated and was darker and the, his face was lighter and it seems quite strange to me that you could look in the mirror and not sort of see that but then I realized okay you actually do need to tell people how to apply products to either be targeted or to get a what was called field change where you're treating the whole face, for example. So when you're tackling, you know, radiance or loss of radiance, you want to treat the whole field. Whereas maybe you just want to treat the chin if you're only getting blemishes on the chin. So it's, it's sort of giving people a structure to hang on, but 13 dots, that's three dots per cheek, forehead, two on the nose, two on the chin. It's also a great way to get people to apply sunscreen evenly without missing bits. Um, it's terribly common for people to miss bits. If you're doing that same miss every single day over months and years, that starts to stack up, right? It does. So say that again. So how many on the forehead? Three in the forehead, three in each of your cheeks, that's mm-hmm. nine, and then two on the, two in the chin. Again, amazing how many people miss out their nose when they're applying a product. Funnily enough, I was having a conversation with Inga, our good friend Inga van Lontringer, who's been on the podcast before, about the... The, the nose and how actually when you look at there's a very fine strip that gets missed if you actually yeah. look at application it's really important to do that kind of just brush down the nose to get um I couldn't agree more I think the sunscreen around your eyes it's just so important um I mean some people can't cope with chemical sunscreens around the eyes in which case a mineral sunscreen is a great option but you know sunscreen around your eyes is more important than any eye cream will ever be I'm sorry I've got a cat again Sorry, there's nothing to repeat. 
<laughs> I don't know what the cat just pressed, but that was quite funny. Um, no, sunscreen, absolutely. There's there's no point applying it if you're, well, around the eyes. It's better than, uh, than the eye cream. Because you say the eye cream is trying to fix a problem that the SPF would have prevented from occurring in the first place. Exactly. There's also some um, research that supports that actually while you're sun protecting, you're actually freeing up skin's own energy for repair rather than defense. Oh. Because, if you, you know, our skin all has an inherent SPF. I mean, for fair skinned people like us, it might be only SPF one or two. But if you can stop it having to worry about neutralizing free radicals because it's all kind of blocked on the surface and not getting in, then it has more time and energy to devote to, to repair processes of its own. So, yeah, sunscreen alone will make your skin look younger. That's, um, you know, I've definitely got patient feedback where they, particularly men who are a bit skeptical about using sunscreen every day when they're not in the sun, you know, it's a bit like, why do I need this? Um, but it's, it, you know, with rosacea, it's quite an easy thing to demonstrate that actually that in itself is such an important um, kind of trigger UV damage that, you know, that drives the redness that makes such a big difference, even if you did nothing else. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I'll use whatever carrot I can <laughs> to get people SPF every day. Can you talk to me about how to apply products to your neck? Because I'm somebody who gets quite an itchy neck and I know yeah. that thin, the skin is thinner there. So it can be that if you are using actives and you apply to the neck, you can end up causing problems. And to that point about God, it was two years ago, more than that, I went to a concert in Hyde Park on a very, very hot day uh, with Caroline. And I didn't want to say, I think I've overdone the actives on my, because do, do you really want to say that to Caroline? So we were talking and I just kept holding ice cold bottles of water to my neck because it was burning. <laughs> Yeah, basically. She's like, what's going on there? Like nothing. I haven't overused retinol. So so I have always used moisturizers from listeners. I'm going from like the bottom of my neck up. I've always been quite mindful of doing that. But as I've incorporated actives, I, I worry that I'm neglecting my neck. How do you treat that and still get good results? Yeah. So I will often see that with patients and it's like, you know, it's a conversation to have at the, what I call the advanced retinoid stage. So usually three to six months in and the neck starting to look a bit dull and a bit sallow and a bit matte compared to the, the blingy face, which is really, you know, kind of starting to stand out. So you want to, you want to reduce that discrepancy, right? Everything should match. So I recommend that once you've got a handle on how to use a retinoid in your face, which is just naturally more tolerant, you then shift focus to the neck. So the way is to start off always buffering. So always, always, always moisturizing first and letting that absorb in. The next thing is to always dilute. So, you know, if you were using a pea-sized amount of your chosen retinoid on your face, go in with perhaps a 50% dilution. So take half the amount and use moisturizer to dilute it, if you will. So it's half the strength. And then you want to reduce the frequency. So if you were starting off using a retinoid every second day on your face to every third day on your neck, and then give that two weeks and feel free to do the sandwich technique where you top up moisturizer on top of the retinoid once it's gone in. Usually that combination of little tricks, which I, you know, I'll use on the face, you know, you know, neck um, quite freely. Usually that combination allows you to introduce it. It's slower you might never find that you can actually build up to a daily retinoid use on your neck. You might find that every other day is as far as you can go, but that will still make a meaningful difference um, and help bring everything into you know, a greater degree of uniformity with your face. Actually, that's made me think about um, 
Do you know when Jennifer Lopez turned 52, I think it was earlier this year, she posed in a bikini and obviously Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez looks amazing. And somebody said the reason she looks amazing is because there is no discrepancy between face, neck and body. The skin everywhere looks completely appropriate. Yeah. What is that wizardry, Sam? <laughs> I mean... You know, I'd have to see her in the flesh, firstly. I do think there's a woman who goes around with, um, you know, a lot of lighting and uh, <laughs> a, a, an awareness of lighting, naturally, that we, the rest of us might not necessarily have. Um, she has an olive skin tone, which definitely puts her at advantage. And she may have just been somebody who hasn't spent that much time, you know, off, you know, actually in, the, in kind of the full blaze of, of the sun. So you can't really see much evidence of sun exposure in the backs of her hands and forearms, which are kind of, you know, oftentimes we take care of our faces, but it's, it's the hands and the cleavage is where the, the passport guys mm. look. You know, they, <laughs> they're better judges of, you know, what age you are, I think, oftentimes than the face. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have to say it's a combination of genetics. Um, she's definitely doing very well on the facial front. I'm sure she had a little bit of help there, but I think the body gives us a good steer that actually she's just somebody who's very blessed. Right. Okay. Are you, I don't think okay. it's more reckless than that. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't think you had to tow Tretinoin or anything. I think that's unlikely. You what, sorry? I don't think she's using head to toe tretinoin or anything like that. Because so. well, the urban legend about her ages ago that I heard is that she would go and get an entire big pot of creme de la mer massaged into her full body, face and body. And I'm like, I would do that too if I could afford it. But that wouldn't make her look any younger. No, though. but it would be it's very, very nice. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I mean, I had my creme de la mer day, but it gave me spots, undoubtedly. Well, I had a creme de la mer facial years ago, and it was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Is that right? It's, what did they do to you during that? Well, exactly. essentially, you have the... It's not a treatment bed. It is like... Um, it's a, it is a bed, but they pull out a little bit of like they give you a, you lie flat on it but then they say oh bend your legs and so you do and they pull out part of it and then there's a, a foot bath like salt foot spa in it but you're still lying down and you've just bent your legs and you're having a lovely bubbly foot massage and the whole thing cocoons you and it vibrates and there's heat and it's just absolutely one I mean I came out of it and I was I was not on this celestial plane I was absolutely tripping <laughs> it was just like that that sounds fabulous I mean that's how to do a facial experience properly isn't it like that's just to make you feel completely relaxed which is wonderful um but yes everyone has their creme de la mer moment um I think it can be a lovely experience but you mentioned earlier and I'm just mindful before I let you go you talked about retinol being gold standard but you also mentioned there are a lot of myths and there are 100 things that people will leave about retinol to be true but they are not and they're actually unhelpful and to that end i will say listeners the first time i used retinol i was scared to go to sleep in case it hurt <laughs> i didn't want to wake up with a red face and this is i mean i should have known that's really cute i should have known better and that's you and that's um I mean, I think that's it. You could, I have one of my team worked for me for nearly a year before admitting that she still didn't have the confidence to start a retinoid. <laughs> it's like, why didn't you ask me? I mean, like, you know, yeah, so I, I hear you. Um, I think one can never assume, like, you know, because there is so much folklore around the harmful effects potentially that, um, yeah, you need to really hold people's hands sometimes when they, when they start it. However, 
talk to me two weeks later. (laughs) So let's do one of the big ones because this is something, and I understand why people think this to be true, but there is a misconception that, that retinol thins the skin. That's probably the commonest one, isn't it? So categorically, it thickens the most important part of the skin, which is the dermis. So youth lies in the dermis, which was an unpopular Instagram post I posted recently. (laughs) I thought that was really impactful. You know, that is where youth lies. So nice, thick, you know, um, plenty of collagen, functional elastin, all that kind of glycosamine, glycan stuff like hyaluronic acid that holds water. So retinoids thicken up that part of our skin. So it's the most important area to be thick. With the epidermis, which is the top layer, the bit that sits on top of the dermis, they thin it out, but they make it more flexible and functionally perform better. So it's it's that bit that gets thinned a bit, but that's kind of okay. That's what leads to that exfoliated, bright, glowy appearance. Um, so yeah, in terms of what it delivers, it, it thickens the most important part. And the reason why people might think it thins the skin is because their skin might be sensitive, but that's not because the skin is thin, is it? No, that's that's retinoid retinization, which is a, a very American sounding term, essentially, whereby your skin is changing in, you know, under the exposure of higher levels of vitamin A. Now, the, the really reassuring part is that vitamin A is something that we get from our diet It is part and parcel of healthy skin. It's just that we never get quite enough in the places that we want it to, because, you know, the body's, you know, focused on the brain and boring organs like that. But, you know, by putting it on topically, we're getting it like a kind of, you know, extra benefit, extra blessings. And it's really helping reset cellular function of lots of different cell types. So that transition is just part and parcel of getting to that lovely golden place where your skin is tolerant of retinoids and you start to see the magic, you know, improvement in fine lines, more even skin tone, clearer pores, an overall rosy glow that people can't help but notice. So, yeah. It's just a transition phase. And the other thing, I guess, is the percentages. I think this really confuses people. So I have definitely had people message me saying, I want to get a prescription TRET or a prescription retinol because I want really good results. And that's not the way to start your retinol journey, is it? I think... The problem is that there is a complexity around the nomenclature. So retinoids are a family of molecules related to vitamin A. Now there are prescription ones, which basically means that when they are applied to the skin, they have a direct effect. So a pharmaceutical grade effect. And the gold standard one is tretinoin, which is essentially the same as what is in our skin naturally. So that's why replacing it externally has such an impact. Then we have other synthetic um, prescription retinoids, things like Differin you might've heard of, or Adapalene, um, Tazaratine. So there's a whole host of them. And then non-prescription wise, you have probably the most well-known is retinol, which in the skin gets converted into tretinoin or retinoic acid. And it's that process of conversion that makes it weaker because you get a bit of loss with each conversion step. So it goes through, from retinol um, to retinaldehyde to retinoic acid. So we can also get retinaldehyde over the counter. Again, non-prescription because it has to go through conversion and you lose at least 10X bold potency with each conversion potentially. So that means, you know, we use higher percentages of retinol, for example, like 1% is the highest strength typically of retinol, but it does go down right to 0.1%. So you know, that's something that you might find in an eye cream. So I think it's about choosing your molecule, 
you know, and then sticking with it and then choosing a brand that gives you transparency on the percentages. So you can essentially scale what's called the retinoid ladder. So whether it's on a retinol ladder or a tretinoin ladder, there's usually different percentages of the same molecule. And for ease, that's often the easiest way to navigate where you're going to with your skin. And I think it's also really important to set goals before you start, because it can be very easy to get wrapped up in the whole, I need tretinoin because I've read about it in a Facebook group. <laughs> you might not need tretinoin. You know, tretinoin is largely for people who've got acne prone skin or a serious sun damage. Definitely for somebody without a doctor guiding them, the best place to start is with a non-prescription retinoid. Get a feeling for how you're going to experience it, what's going to do for you. And then if you get to the top of the non-prescription retinoid ladder, maybe it's time to go and see a doctor for some guidance around which prescription one might be better for you. But that's the way I'd look at it. They all make a difference. Um, it just depends on where you're starting from and what your goals are as to how aggressive you need to be and you know what time frame like somebody who's going to get married in six months might well be better off going straight to see derm or you know someone who can prescribe a retinoid because you've got a fairly limited amount of time to get those benefits and you don't want to do it at the last minute and you know get scared because maybe there's a bit of irritation so you know there's lots of retinoids and there's the right one for each and every person um but I think just start. Sometimes we psych ourselves out without all these question marks. And sometimes you just start mm. and then you learn as you go. And there's so much information now around the topic. Um, I mean, I've done a whole series on retinoids to really help hold people's hand at the beginning. Because it's always that first three weeks. It's yeah. kind of the potentially challenging period where you might not sleep, you know, um, or, <laughs> you know, you might wobble and then kind of stop it for a few days. And then you're not quite sure how to restart it again. Um but yeah, just start, I would say. Go gentle, if in doubt. Um, strip everything else out of your routine so there are no other kind of confounders. So you know if you're getting a problem, it relates to the retinoid, and it's not because you've also used your vitamin C and AHA. It's so important if you're starting out and you're doing this by yourself, especially if you've got sensitive skin. But, um, but yeah, just be slow, be steady. The changes you're looking for are over the period of months to years. So there is no rush to get you know, up to the point where you're using it every single night, you know, in two weeks time, they, they, the changes happen over six blo blocks of six weeks, which is kind of a skin mm. cycle. So with that in mind, relax. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I've had this question a lot and I totally understand why people have asked it, which is I started out with a 0.1% retinol. I finished that bottle. Where can I find a 0.2? what's the 0.2 I should move on to next? Is that the way to move forward? Or could you happily stay on 0.1% for a long time and still get benefits? Do you have to increase the percentage? No, you can, as I say, that's why I think it's important to define your goals before the outset. So if you reach your goals in the 0.1%, there probably isn't much point in, in, in escalating, although 0.1 is really low. So I think, you know, know that you've got the tools that we talked about earlier. So buffering with moisturizer first, you can dilute it with a bit of moisturizer. You can learn to essentially customize the retinoid to your skin as you go. Um, so I'll often transition a patient from 0.025% tretinoin to 0.05%. Now, I will teach them how to essentially turn that 0.05% tube into 0.025% so that if the worst comes to the worst, they can essentially carry on as they were before. Mm. But maybe at that lower strength, we haven't quite gotten control of their acne or maybe want to work harder on pigmentation marks from the acne that's gone before. So I'll give them that flexibility. But if you can dilute your trets and you can buffer it and you can sandwich it, 
essentially you should be able to make it work for you you know slowly but surely with a higher percentage over time well those are my retinol myths is there anything else that people say to you when they come to see you that you have to say no no that is not true about retinol um i mean skin thinning is definitely like the big one um I mean, I think the fact that, you know, there's some brands that are advocating use of retinoids during the day. I'm not a fan. I prefer my retinoids to go on at night time. You know, there is this potential for them to be broken down by ultraviolet rays. So like, let's not waste our retinoid by applying it in the daytime. Um, I think marrying it up with other ingredients can be challenging. I'm a big believer, unless it's formulated in a combination therapy like you have, or like nightly has been made, that you don't try and mix too many active ingredients with your retinoids that really niacinamide is the main one. I'm happy with it being used in combination. Um, definitely want to stay away from using benzoyl peroxide for acne at the same time as using a retinoid. Um, in the same sitting, I mean, you're fine to use it in the morning mm. if you're using your retinoid at night, unless it's been formulated together and that's a different matter. I mean, those are this, I think those are the ones that worry people that psych themselves out. I'm not sure where it goes in my routine. So they, the common thing is they cling on to their exfoliating acids, not realizing how much more of a profound effect a retinoid can have on their skin. So I think that's it. It's being logical about the hierarchy of the ingredients in your routine and giving them you know, their due place, um, you know, and I say retinoids are so important to me that they're worth stripping everything else out of the routine for to get them going. Yeah, because would you say that if you are using a retinol in the evening, that um, the exfoliating acids, for example, in the morning, would you say only use them in the morning? Or would you say you, mo you might not even need to marry the two? You might not even need them, exactly. Because at the end of the day, retinoids help you your, your skin exfoliate itself. I mean, we have natural exfoliation methods, right? So the top layer of my skin will be replaced by a completely new layer in four to six weeks time. If we're doing that more efficiently, the role of an AHA becomes much less important. And then I'd rather focus that space in the morning routine on solving another concern in a more meaningful way, rather than just a duplication of an action, but less effectively. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It just doesn't really make that much sense. I'd rather you went up the strength of your retinoid actually than add an AHA in. And if your skin is stinging when you are applying anything to it, is that a sign that it's working or is it a cry for help? <laughs> Can be both. <laughs> so some have a low pH naturally. There are some people who will always find uh, vitamin C in the form of L-ascorbic acid stingy. Azelaic acid can also sting too. And it tends to be once a stinger, always a stinger, but um, invariably, but it, it's often the case. Whereas if you are finding everything sting and that's, that's more typical if you've overdone your retinoid, for example, that's probably a sign of barrier disruption that you've maybe gone a little hard and heavy and you need a little break and you need to allow everything to kind of reseal for your barrier to kind of get back to normal. And then you can start, um, you know, building in your actives again. So yeah, and then you need to usually reset at a slightly lower intensity than you were using before. And it can happen so often in winter, you know, you just get a cold spell, central heating goes up, all of a sudden your skin is much drier, but you've kept going at the same level as before. You just need to stop, reset, and then, as I say, adjust to maybe the, the ongoing, you know, temperature change. This is all such good and excellent advice, Sam. Honestly, thank you so much. Why to be practical. <laughs> I love it so much. Would you mind letting the listeners know where they can find you and how they can get a hold of your products? Yes, of course. So website is 
drsambunting.com. And I'm, you know, Dr. Sam Munting on Instagram and we have a YouTube channel as well for lots of helpful, practical um, videos on common concerns like acne, rosacea, pigmentation. My Christmas shopping list, that's a fascinating one going up quite soon. (laughs) (laughs) And if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, I want a piece of this Dr. Sam Bunting action, I'm going to get something from her range. Is there a hero product that you recommend they start with? It's like a favorite child situation. I mean, I... I think nightly serum is a pretty good place to start because you've got granactive retinoid 2%, you've got azelaic acid, you've got niacinamide and you've got bacuchiol. Um, yeah, if that doesn't blow your socks off, I'm not sure what will. Interesting. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> um, listeners, the links to Dr. Sam Bunting, the range, her Instagram, her YouTube channel will be in the show notes. But my goodness, what a pleasure to chat to you. Thanks for joining me. I'd like to invite you to come on my YouTube channel, actually. I think we'd have a giggle. You up for it? I'm absolutely up for it. I would have a, a hell of a time. Will the cats be there? I mean, we can make that if happen. Hector and Ginger are there. I'll be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I will warn you, they get quite bitey because uh, they, they get quite stimulated on a filming day, but um, that can add to the uh, excitement <laughs> and general hilarity. I'd like to so. invite you on my YouTube channel. <laughs> there is an element of risk. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.